Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning. Today, we're going to be studying Genesis 33, where Jacob and Esau reunite. Is it going to be a happy reunion or a tragic reunion? We'll find out. But before we get started, I thought it would be a good idea to review the different sources we've been talking about. There's E, J, P, and R. Now, these are going to become especially significant in the story of Jacob. Some scholars believe E was written first. He's from the north. He writes down these stories first, and then some people believe that J and P came along and changed his stories up. The characteristics of E was he's from the north. He uses Elohim for the supreme being, which is translated as God in our Bibles, and that's where they got the letter E from to designate him. He has a lot of angels and dreams in his stories, and he emphasizes prophecies, and he uses cities of the north. Now, for the purposes of the story of Jacob, he, Jacob, is the preferred patriarch of the north. Their kingdom is called Israel whenever the kingdoms divide. So they prefer Israel. They prefer Jacob. And they also refer to Jacob as Israel more often. Now, J uses Yahweh or Jehovah, which is translated as Lord in our Bibles. He's a master storyteller. There's usually no dreams or angels in his stories. He has sacrifices, meaning that it's okay for people to offer sacrifices. And God is more human. He has human characteristics. And the preferred patriarch for this person is Abraham, perhaps because Abraham is from the south. And this writer does not like Jacob very much, or at least he wants to emphasize that Jacob is not as important as Abraham. And Jacob is scared all the time. He's scared of Esau. He's scared of Laban. He's scared of the Canaanites. But in E, Jacob is strong and virile. In fact, Jacob lifts a huge stone off a well that it takes many men to lift. Then P may be the last writer, and he comes along and edits these stories for a more priestly point of view. God is very strict. He doesn't have very many human characteristics. He's very authoritative. P is interested in genealogies and facts, and he's all business. God is all business. He just tells it like it is. There's no storytelling involved. Did I miss anything, Father Fred? Another thing that I might add is that in the North, North people have as their hero the fellow named Moses. In the South, the hero is Aaron. So those are things that we might notice just as we're going along. So the North prefers Jacob, who becomes Israel, and Moses, and the South prefers Abraham and Aaron. That is right. Now, as a way of review before we get into today's story, Jacob, when he's fleeing Esau, he stops at a place called Bethel, and he has a dream of angels going up and down a ladder. And this signifies that this is a holy place, that God dwells here. And 
Jacob names the place Bethel. It used to be named Luz, L-U-Z. Then Jacob goes up to Laban. He's tricked into marrying Leah, and he also marries Rachel, who he wants to marry all along. And he works 14 years for his wives, and then he works an additional six years for Laban. And finally, he's had enough of Laban. His daughters have had enough of Laban, and Jacob flees Laban. Laban catches up to him and says, hey, why did you do this? I would have sent you off with a big party when Laban actually had no desire to do such a thing. He probably would have harmed Jacob if it wasn't for God intervening and telling Laban not to hurt Jacob. And then he sends word to Esau that he's on his way. And Esau responds, I'm going to meet you with 400 soldiers. He struggles with a supernatural being. And where does that occur, Father Fred? That's in chapter 32. Remember the name of the place? Penuel. He struggles with an angel in Penuel, and in some sources, he is renamed from Jacob to Israel in Penuel. Can you tell us a little bit about this renaming? Because in one source, he gets named Israel in Penuel, and in another, he gets named Israel in Bethel. Okay. And the reason for the two stories is there are two different authors, two different people that are going to be sharing this this information the first one is in we'll just go to chapter 32 and if you happen to have in your bible go to chapter 32 and and let's look we're going to start down at verse 23 and we're going to see as george was saying when you have e or if you have j those sources they're going to be storytellers it's not going to be just putting out a fact like p is going to be doing like priestly source verse 23 says this that night however Jacob rose, took his two wives and two maidservants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he got them and brought them across the wadi and brought over what belonged to them, Jacob was left alone. Now here's something. Then a man, it's called a man here, then a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When the man saw that he could not prevail over him, he struck Jacob's hip at the socket so that Jacob's socket was dislocated as he wrestled with him. Verse 27 says, The man then said, still saying a man, the man then said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. He's got to get away at daybreak for some reason. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked, and he answered Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, because you have contended with divine and human beings and have prevailed. So it's divine and human. 30 says, Jacob then asked him, Please tell me your name. He answered, Why do you ask for my name? With that he blessed him. Verse 31, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. He names it that because I have seen God face to face. And he said, Yet my life has been spared. At sunrise, as he left Penuel, Jacob limped along because of his hip. That is why to this day the Israelites do not eat the sciatic muscle that is in the hip socket, because he had struck Jacob's hip as the hip socket at the sciatic muscle. Now, all of that is a story from E. E tells stories. So how can we tell that this is a story from E? Let me see if I got this right. So there's an angel or supernatural being, and that is probably the main reason we can tell 
that this is from E. Is that correct? That, that is that is correct. Uh -huh. And also in verse 31, it says, Jacob named the place Peniel because I have seen God, not the Lord, but God. And God is used in the north. And that's where E is from, is from the north. Now, that's a story. It took all of that storytelling, the wrestling with this creature, the trying to get loose, getting his, his hip hurt and all of this, the whole story just to get into the point that he's going to change his name from Jacob to Israel. And is this another clue? Peniel is located in the north. That's it. When the writer from the north writes, he uses places that are in the north. Now, let's look for just a moment. Go to chapter 35. We're going to get the name change again, but we're not going to get all of the details. We're just going to get, here's the facts. If you look at verse 9 in chapter 35, we read, On Jacob's arrival from Adam Aran, and that's also a clue that's from the priestly source. Is the priestly source uses Padam Aram? Padam Aram. God appeared to him again and blessed him. Now, there's no story. There's no wrestling. There's none of that. <laughs> this is what God says. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but Israel will be your name. So he's changed his name here in 35, but no storytelling. The storyteller was in E that was in chapter 32. So no fanfare, your name is just Israel. That's it. So P wrote chapter 35, 9 through 20, but E wrote chapter 35, 1 through 8. Is that correct? That's correct. How do we know that E was the author of the first eight verses? If you look at it this way, you can ask, you can just by process of elimination. If there is a story being told, it cannot be P. It's either E or J. So you got E or J to choose from. Whenever it's J, now J just means Yahweh or Jehovah that's used in the South. If it's J, the, the name that they use for the supreme being is Yahweh. If it is the, from the North, if it's the E source, the name that they use for the supreme being is God. So we might look at in chapter 35 at verse 7, and here's one of the clues for us. There he built an altar and called the place Bethel Bethel, for it was there that God, you see that G-O-D, that tells us that it's from the north. It was there that God had revealed himself when he was fleeing from his brother. Now, right here is where Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies, and, and they bury her under an oak tree. Now, if we look at chapter 35, starting with verse 9, now we're going to have the P source. It's not going to be a story. He's just going to give you the facts. And the facts are this. He says, On Jacob's arrival from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. No story. He's just there and he's going to bless him. And here's his blessing. He says, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Now we've already had this once back in 32. Your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but Israel will be your name. Now, there's one other thing that we might note here. We've been reading about, for instance, in verse 1 in chapter 35, we read, God said to Jacob, go up now to Bethel. So Bethel is supposed to be already being existing, but that's in the E source. In the P source, Bethel is never mentioned before. 
So in the peace source, we read that Jacob named the place where God spoke to him Bethel. And that's in verse 15? That's in verse 15, yes. So if you look at that, you could say, well, now how can that be? How can they be going to Bethel, all these different places, all these different times? And now he's naming it. The way that he can do that is he has never, in the priestly source, he has never mentioned before Bethel. This is the first time. This is when he names it. Now, George, I think you saw it another way too, didn't you? Yes. If you're a literalist and don't believe in the document hypothesis, there's people who say, well, he's just reaffirming the name. He named it Bethel when he was fleeing from Esau on his way to see Laban. And now he's just reaffirming 20 years later that this is Bethel. He called it Bethel then, and he's still calling it Bethel now. Okay. Now, we jumped around there just to show that the Esau's and the Pesor's tell the same story, but they tell it from two different points of view. Now, Father Fred, there's one other thing that I think is important to cover before we go on. And just as a recap, Jacob is fleeing to Laban's house. He stops at Bethel. He sees the ladder to heaven. He builds this altar to God there in Bethel. He goes to Laban. He serves Laban 20 years, and he's coming back to face Esau, and he stops at El Bethel again. But you said something when we were talking that Jacob is a new person now. Can you expand on that? Well, back in chapter 35, if we look down at just the first couple of verses, and this is what tells us that it's E to start with, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel, settle there and build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. And verse 2 tells us, I think, what George is talking about. So Jacob told his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods among you. Then purify yourselves and change your clothes. Changing your clothes meant that you were going to be changing not just your outer garments, but your inner being. So here, as George is talking, he's, he's saying that he's changing his clothes. He's going to be a different person after he builds this altar. So it sounds like to me that serving Laban for 20 years and facing death from Esau and Jacob wrestles with God at Peniel, he has been transformed. And that transformation is signified by his name changing from Jacob to Israel. So we're looking at a new man here. He can no longer rely on his wit and cunning and intelligence. He has to rely on God, and he wrestles with God. That's what wrestling with God signifies, as he realizes he can't do this alone, and he's a changed man at this point. Would you agree with that? Or I would agree with that, and I would, I would just like to share something with you that we have in the Catholic Church and in other churches, too, but we have what we call confirmation. When we're babies, we are baptized, which means in the Catholic faith, that we're brought into the church. Then there comes a time when oh, you're around 13 or 14 years old, you decide for yourself that this is what you want to follow. We call this confirmation. We confirm what the belief that our parents had used for us as we came into the church. Now we're going to confirm it ourselves. It's called confirmation. And when we do, we pick out a name. We don't lose our names, but we can also know that we pick out a name that somebody, some saint that we would like to 
pattern our lives after. When I was ordained, I chose St. Francis of Assisi. And when I was in the seminary, they called me St. Francis because after supper, I would always, we had a little creek that ran behind our seminary, and I would take a couple of slices of bread and go down and feed the fish. They called me St. Francis, and that's what I wanted to be like was St. Francis. Now, we have jumped from 32 to 35, and now this is going to be kind of, a, sounds like an awkward little bit. We're going now in between, and we're going to get chapter 33. We chose 32 and 35 just to, to discuss the two different versions, the two different sources of how Jacob got his name changed to Israel. So what happens here in 33, actually, if you're going by history, or you're going to think, well, this comes after 32, where they changed his name, but it actually comes before 35, where they changed their name there. The redactor that put this together was not interested in history. He was not interested in science. This is a book of faith that tells what their faith is about. Chapter 33 begins this way. This is verse 1. Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming, and with him, wow, 400 men. Now, you remember in the Esau, the last time that we saw Jacob with Esau, there was problems. Jacob fled for his life. So now he's looking up, and he sees Esau coming with 400 men. So what did he do? So he divided his children among them, Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. Now, I'm not sure why he divided those into these three different groups. From what I've read, this was a strategy that if Esau attacked a group, the other groups could flee and perhaps escape from Esau's wrath. Okay, that makes sense. Verse 2 says, putting the maidservants and their children first, so they look like they're first in line, Leah and her children next, that looks like the second group, and, and I think uh, he, there's probably a reason he put Leah before Rachel in case there's trouble. And Rachel and Joseph last. Now, the next sentence is kind of confusing to me. Then it says, he himself went ahead of them. So he's lined them up, but they're not going to go in front of him. Leah and the children are not going to go first, or the maidservants are not go, go, going to go first. Verse 3 says, he himself went on ahead of them bowing to the ground seven times until he reached his brother. I don't know how far it was from his brother and how far he stepped between each bowing, but uh, seven, a lot of times, doesn't just mean seven, does it, George? No, it could mean the perfect amount. And from what I've read, bowing down seven times is something a servant would do for his master to show that he was a subordinate of his master, so this is Jacob saying, I am your servant. He's going to build him up so that he won't tear him down. Verse 4 says, Esau ran to meet him. He must have been scared when he saw Esau coming, running toward him. But look what happened. Esau embraced him and flinging himself on his neck, he kissed him and he wept. Now, you were expecting, or I was expecting, a big battle or something really fierce that was going to go on. It's kind of like the battle took place in the last chapter when when Jacob was struggling with this creature that had come to, to visit with him. But there's no confrontation. The confrontation was back there with that divine person. Well, Father Fred, something that's interesting that I read, and this is from 
Legends of the Jews. It's a great book. It's by Lewis Ginsberg, and that's G-I-N-Z-B-E-R-G. He went and he took a lot of the oral stories being told by the Jews and the rabbis and combined them, and it provides a lot of interesting context to this meeting and to a lot of other stories in the Bible. I highly recommend it. But one of the things that these legends say is that Esau fully intended to kill Jacob. But the night before, a heavenly host appeared to Esau. There were 2,000 angels, and these angels said, If you harm Jacob, we will slaughter you and all your soldiers with you and everything with you. And so Esau decided it was in his best interest not to kill Jacob. He was also thinking that whenever he embraced Jacob, he was going to kill Jacob. But an angel of the Lord prevented that from happening. So if we look at that in context, Esau didn't just magically forgive Jacob. He had a death threat from God that if you harm Jacob, you're going to die too. So it wasn't just a big-hearted effort. It was a big fear that he had. Yes, according to this book that I read. Now, as you read this in chapter 33, verse 1 and verse 5, it, it sounds like these people are walking with their face down to the ground because verse 1 says, Jacob looked up and saw Esau. And verse 5 says, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children and asked, Who are these with you? And Jacob answered, There are my children with whom God has graciously favored. Who is he favored? Your servant. I'm your servant now. Verse 5 says, Then the maidservants, the maidservants and their children came forward and they bowed low also. Now you'd think, You'd expect them to bow, but you uh, wouldn't necessarily think that Jacob would be bowing. Next is verse 7. Next, Leah. Now, that's the one that Jacob is not real fond of. Leah and her children came forward, and they bowed low. And then last of all, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed low. And then Esau asked, What do you intend with all these herds, all these cattle that you have encountered? And Jacob answered, it was to gain my Lord's favor. He's trying to not get his scalp taken from him. And Esau replies, I have plenty, my brother. You, sh you should keep what's yours. And no, I beg you, said Jacob. I beg you, if you will do me the favor, accept this gift from me, since to see your face is for me like seeing the face of God, and you will have received me kindly. What he's thinking about is maybe this blessing that I took from him. I can kind of give that blessing back to him. Verse 11 says, Accept the gift I've brought you, for God has been generous toward me, and I have an abundance. Since he urged him strongly, Esau accepted. Then Esau said, Let us break camp and be on our way. I will travel in front of you. But Jacob replied, As my Lord knows, the children are too young. Now, they've been traveling all this time. They're not too young. And the flocks and the herds that are nursing are a concern to me. If overdriven for even a single day, the whole flock will die. Let my Lord go before his servant while I proceed more slowly at the pace of the livestock and at the pace of my children until I join my Lord in Seir. He's not going to go to Seir. He's telling him this, but he doesn't go there. Verse 15 says, Esau replied, 
Let me at least put at your disposal some of the people who are with me. But Jacob said, Why is this that I am treated so kindly by my Lord? And I also wonder if Jacob is thinking that the men Esau leaves behind are going to kill Jacob. That's a concern that I would have if I were in his shoes. So on that day, Esau went on his way back to Seir. Now, Jacob said he was going to meet him there, but he doesn't do it. Verse 17 says, And Jacob broke camp for Sukkoth. There Jacob built a home for himself and made booths for his livestock. That is why the place is named Sukkoth. Verse 18, Jacob arrived safely at the city of Shechem. He did not go to Seir, like he told his brother. He didn't invite his brother to come to Shechem. Verse 18 says, Jacob arrived safely at the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padam Aram. He encamped in sight of the city. The plot of ground on which he had pitched his tent, he bought for a hundred pieces of money from the descendants of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Shechem's going to be something important in the future. Verse 20, and this is the last one. He set up an altar there and invoked El, the God of Israel. Father Fred, I noticed in verse 18, it uses Padam Aram. Jacob arrived safely in the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padam Aram. I understood that Padam Aram was unique to the priestly source. Well, we know the story can't be written by the priest because the priest is not a storyteller. Did perhaps the priest sneak in a verse here? Possibly that, or it's possible that for some reason the redactor slipped that in there, not realizing what he was doing, or, or maybe it made more sense for him. But that this is a clue that is supposed to be the priestly source, and so this is an exception to the rule. George, this is the end of chapter 35. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? Are there times when we wrestle with God and come out changed? Whenever we decide that we can forgive somebody else, I think that's an experience that we're having with God. It's not a power that comes from ourselves. It's, it's something that God gives us the strength to do. And sometimes we have a struggle with God spiritually and emotionally. Perhaps a loved one died, perhaps we're ill, perhaps we're going through a job loss or some other trial, and we wrestle with God, and we come out different in that experience than when before we started. And I think that's a testament to God's grace, power, and love, that he can take these experiences and transform us into a better version of ourselves. I think that's what we need to get from the scriptures that God says, as we pray, forgive me as I forgive others. And I think that might send a little shockwave through us. That's a hard thing to do. Yes, it is, because we're not God. All right, Father Fred, that's all the time we have for today. You have a wonderful day, and God bless. 